What a king is our Jesus, amen? His wounds have paid our ransom. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. We're going to jump right in, so hustle up. Verse 1 of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Try to imagine a world in which every nation and every person in every nation lives with delight in the word of God and allegiance to God's anointed king, Jesus Christ. In light of what you see happening in the world today, just try to imagine such a condition on planet Earth. It's hard to imagine. And yet it is precisely the future that is promised to God's people. Did you know that? Our eternity is not to be spent floating around in the ether, strumming on harps, uh, feeling giddy all the time, that sort of thing. We're to live in real, tangible, resurrected bodies, our bodies, our own bodies, um, glorified, perfectly suited for eternity, reigning with our Savior Jesus, serving him as citizens of a new heaven and a new earth. This is the future. This is the inheritance promised to the children of God. Do you believe this? Christ says to his church over and over again in his word, this is your hope. Live in the direction of this hope. There is a day coming that we just read of when sinful rebellion on this earth will be brought to an end. Psalm 2 and verse 9, Yahweh says to his anointed son, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. 
In ancient times, the, the kings, especially the pharaohs, would do this. They would, they would have their servants make little clay images of the nations they were about to attack. And they would smash those clay vessels with their scepter or their sword. And then they would say to their captains, they would say to their armies, go, go make that happen. Do you realize the God of the universe says there is a day coming when he will say to heaven's armies, that's enough. Go make it happen. And that imagery we'll see repeated in Revelation 2 in a bit uh, is that of, of the overwhelming power of God brought to bear in judgment against the rebelling nations and peoples of this world who are by comparison uh, as these brittle earthen jars. And the point is this, there, there is no hope of recovery from the wrath of God once it is unleashed. Let, let me just repeat that. There is no hope of recovery from the wrath of God once it is released. Do you suppose the gospel is urgent so the church today lives with confidence in the victory of Christ over his enemies. Now, I want to just remind you where we've been. So this isn't even the start of the message yet. Where this, is just, this is just the wind-up part, all right? So last week we took kind of a broad-brush approach to Psalm 2. What, what in the world is it about? Well, we saw in verses 1 through 3 the world's rebellion described for us, right? Why do the nations rage? Well, it's to do with this you're-not-the-boss-of-me stuff. Remember that? Sinful man desires to bow to no one. He, he worships himself. And then we saw heaven's response. And we said, look, church, we need to be aware of heaven's response because it is to be the disposition that we have living in a world of rebellion. You notice that the father is not scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, there is no panic in heaven when it comes to this world's rebellion. Um, the father uh, sits <laughs> And then he speaks and he says, look, uh, there is this decree that you need to be aware of. What, what's a decree? It, it, it's something that is said to happen by one who has all authority to make it happen. And what is God's decree? I have set my king, says verse 6, on my holy hill of Zion. He has anointed his king, his own son, the father has, to be king of kings, ruler of the nations. This is Jesus, our savior. And, and Christ's rule is to be all-encompassing. It's to be unrivaled over all the earth because his enemies will one day have been judged with finality. And so Psalm 2 then ends with the well, what are we supposed to do about all of this? How ought we think and how ought we live in light of the certainty of the king's reign? Well, Psalm 2 ends, beginning in verse 10, is, is, is sort of the last stanza, if you will, of this song, with the king's invitation. And the invitation is this, be wise, be warned, 
that you may be blessed. And, and, and I urge you to pay careful attention because this is the gospel that the church is meant to proclaim to the nations. In light of all of the rebellion we see happening around us today, God's message is this, be wise, be warned that you might be blessed. Look at verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. What does it mean to be wise? Well, in God's economy, he's saying be wise. Pay attention to the reality of impending judgment. Do you realize it's okay to talk about that with people? Be wise. Wake up to the reality of impending judgment. You see, wisdom is not merely knowing the truth. Wisdom is responding rightly to the truth. It is very possible in a, in a group of people this size that there are some here today who are foolish. What do I mean by that? Not in that you've never heard the gospel before, but that you've yet to respond rightly to God's gospel. And God's message to you today, friend, is to be wise. Pay attention to the reality of impending judgment. Whose judgment? Yours. All who live with no affection for the word of God, says Psalm 1, all who live outside allegiance to God's king, says Psalm 2. Be wise, verse 10, and then be warned. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. To be instructed is to be corrected. It's to be chastened. It's to be warned in such a way that you actually change course. Are you hearing this? Think about what I've told you about my mother. When I was a boy, I've told, this, I've told you this before, it's very hard to find new material. But, but, but my, my, my mother used to say to me when I was a kid, she said, Stevie, I've told you 1,500 times, stop bugging your sister. Because in those formative years of my life, bugging my sister, that was like an Olympic sport. And I, and I always meddled at this sport. And, and, and it, it just drove our mother nuts. And, and she, would, she would say, look, I've told you this 1,500 times till I'm blue in the face. What did she mean? She didn't mean just look at my face, which to me actually seemed more red than blue due to the, the high blood pressure. All of you young moms know about this. She meant stop, change direction. God says to those who live in rebellion against him today, be wise, be alert to this impending judgment, be warned. You've got to do a 180. You've got to turn in another direction, the opposite direction as it turns out. You mean like repentance? Yeah, yeah. Is not the gospel proclaimed by the church today the gospel of repentance? Of course it is. Be warned. Change direction. The way of rebellion leads to eternal wrath. Rather than live in the direction of eternal wrath, 
Make an abrupt turn. Repent. Listen, why do our neighbors, our classmates, uh, our family members who sometimes sit at our, our very tables need to hear this part of the king's invitation? Because, you know, it doesn't sound very nice. And, and, and some of us have sort of grown up in an atmosphere where we just always thought that um, we just need to kind of tell people what they'd like to hear. And, and what a terrible thing it would be to, to be those who uh, speak the gospel with an attitude of just telling people what they want to hear. You can tickle people's ears all the way to hell. We don't want to do that. And so the gospel warning uh, is that sinful man uh, does not want to be awakened because he thinks he is wise in his own right. Listen to Proverbs 26. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You see, the, the greatest obstacle to receiving the king's invitation is the, the foolish notion uh, within man himself that he's got everything all figured out. He's wise in his own eyes. And, and if you need evidence of this, just remember some of the things that were discussed last week. Do you remember last week, some of you? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Man's best wisdom in our day is that it's okay to kill millions of unborn babies and call that freedom, choice. That's, that's liberty, the world says. It's man's best wisdom today to tell little boys that they can be little girls if they want and to tell little girls that they can be little boys if they want or if they prefer, they can be neither. That's man's best wisdom today. Man's best wisdom today is that you can have your truth and I can have my truth and they may be completely different, but we'll get along just fine as long as we all have our own truth. As long as you believe your truth sincerely enough, you're okay. And, and God comes to us for love's sake and his gospel and says to us, look, you can be sincerely wrong. The wisdom of this world then is on a collision course with the king of kings. That's what Psalm 2 is all about. How dangerous is the wisdom of man apart from God? Well, again, the Proverbs warn us, don't they? The way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. The broad way of man's wisdom apart from God, leads to hell. Be wise. Be warned. So begins the king's invitation to all who rebel. Remember the, the salient message of Psalms 1 and 2 is, is simply that there are two kinds of people living in the world. Despite all of this world's diversity, besides all of the, uh, the, the, the races and colors and cultures and all of that, there are those who live with affection for the word of God, and there are those who live in allegiance to the God of the word, and there are those who do not. You say, well, what about all the other people? There are no other people. Choose this day. 
Those who walk in God's ways, who live in allegiance to the king, are promised an inheritance, citizenship in an eternal kingdom. And the psalmist David, still uh, doing us all a favor today in saying, look, to refuse his benevolent rule is to be judged forever. Are you listening to this? Verse 11 tells us then the right response of wisdom. The, 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 the right response to this warning of verse 10. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. In other words, stop serving yourself primarily. Stop living as if God doesn't exist. Abandon your corrupt schemes Uh, uh, your worldly wisdom, the psalmist says to the nations, and serve the king of kings with fear and trembling. What what does it mean to serve the Lord with fear, do you suppose? Listen to Psalm 111 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Forever. So God says to us, look, to serve me with fear is to obey him and to live in reverence toward him. And God had said to his people throughout the centuries, this is the best life I have for you. I'm not a killjoy. I love you. Walk in my ways and experience my best. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Note the repetition there. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. To fear the Lord is to know him intimately, personally, like a child knows her father, his father. And so in Psalm 2, David is actually singing of God's merciful invitation to rebels. Yes, judgment is coming, but what now? In the meantime, what? Turn to the Lord. Surrender to the king. Service to the king is that better way that leads to life. Jesus put it this way. Therefore, if the son makes you free, You shall be free indeed. Free to do what? Well, free to obey and serve God with enjoyment. Do you enjoy God? Of course, you who know him. Free to love God instead of hating God. And you say, well, I, I can't think of anything worse than hating God. I had a fellow who called my phone just last week to let me know he hated God. There are such people, uh, but I'm hopeful for this guy. You know why? Because if God aims to save him, he'll be saved. And there is something yet worse than hating God. And that is indifference. He's not indifferent. That makes me hopeful. Free to experience the king's faithfulness day in and day out. Free to inherit his his kingdom, an eternal kingdom lived in the king's presence. This is our future as the people of God. So, so, so the command to serve and to rejoice is the 
invitation to be blessed. And so uh, don't be um, concerned uh, that to speak gospel warnings to people uh, is not also to speak gospel blessings to people. They're one in the same. It's, it's, it's a package deal. This is the best life there is to be found in the king, to be found in Christ. And some of you, you know, when, when we're, we're seeing these things in the Old Testament, you, you, you sit up straight and you have this look of concern on your face um, because you're thinking, well, I'm so glad the New Testament has come along and eased up a bit on this obedience stuff. Um, I, I'm, so, I'm so glad uh, that we can... I don't mean this to be funny. I really don't. Um, I'm so glad some of you think that in light of the New Testament, we can simply be those who name Jesus and not actually follow him. And let me just love you enough to tell you, friend, that the, if that is your gospel, you are yet in peril. What, what, what is the end of Psalm 1? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the lifestyle, but the way, the lifestyle of the ungodly shall perish. So be wise. Be warned that you might be blessed. The king's invitation then is a call to glad allegiance to him. Now I could have started with that five weeks ago, and we would, have, we would have made a lot better time. But you see, this is the theme that carries throughout these first two psalms. And, and verse 12, I think, makes this quite plain. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Kiss the son. Just think about that. Kiss, kiss what son? Well, back in verse 7, we were reminded that David sings of the Son of God. Remember, all of God's people throughout all of history have been saved by faith in the work of Christ. And in the Old Testament, Christ's saving work is dimly perceived, isn't it? It's types and shadows, and Pastor Sean was speaking of that when he spoke of the, uh, the, the, the sacrificial system that God's people had uh, in David's day, for example. All of it pointing to Christ. The priests never sitting down. Why? Because their job was never done. All of it pointing to a final sacrifice that actually would atone for the sins of God's people. In the New Testament, Christ's saving work is, is clearly revealed. And, and that means we can search our New Testament then and meet the Son, Jesus, who lived a perfectly righteous life for his people. Kiss this king who came and lived for you the life that you cannot live. The, 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 the ultimate blessed man, if you will, of Psalm 1, who only lived with love toward the word of the Father, who meditated on the word of the Father day and night, who bore the fruit of obedience for his people. And, and we can search our, our, our New Testament, can't we, and meet the Son, Jesus, who went to Calvary's cross, with that perfectly obedient life and his blood was shed 
not merely that he would die a physical death, though he did, but that he might take upon himself this wrath from God that we're being warned of. Do you realize that the wrath of God will be poured out on you if you're not trusting that it's been poured out on Christ for you? And we can search our New Testament, of course, and meet the Son who, who rose from that stone tomb in power and glory and is seated even now in heaven, very much alive and reigning over all things. This is the Son who has asked of the Father and has now received the nations for his inheritance. This world belongs to God the Son. Do you believe this? Have you kissed the Son? That's kind of strange language, isn't it? Because we always think in terms of having decided upon Christ. What does it mean to kiss the Son? You know, it wasn't strange language in David's day. Uh, what happened to David when he was anointed Israel's king? L listen to 1 Samuel 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, uh, on David's head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? What, what, what is the, uh, the prophet doing? Well, this is, this is the kiss of allegiance, isn't it? This is the kiss of, of submission to God's anointed king. Surrender, if you will, uh, to the lordship of the king. And this is the, the very language that David now employs with respect to his greater son, God's own son, the Lord Jesus. So uh, that's why we're, we're always saying, as we're in the Old Testament, the, the Bible knows nothing of, of belonging to the people of God and yet not living in allegiance to the king. Sinful man invented that. Or this is not God's gospel. A case in point, when we were studying the book of Hosea, does anybody remember that? Way back to whenever that was. But some of you might remember, God's issue with his people then, with, with unbelieving Israel, was that they were a people who named God, but didn't actually love God. They were a people who wanted to be known as the people of God without actually living for God. And just try to picture what that would look like, right? You don't have to labor at all to picture that because it's in the world today. Hosea 13.2 says, They sin more and more and have made for themselves molded images, idols of their silver, according to their skill. All of it is the work of craftsmen. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. In other words, it, it, was, it was common pagan practice to show affection, adoration for a, a deity, a false god, by kissing it. And so David takes that imagery and, and meaning the exact opposite of that to describe what it is to kiss the son. This is the kiss of adoration. Not merely allegiance in a cold sense, but adoration in a warm sense. Do you adore Jesus? 
Of course you do. If you know him. The king's invitation then is a call to live in adoration toward Christ and allegiance to his rule. And I believe this image of kissing the sun, are you guys pressed for time? Because I've got, I've got a bit more. Let me just give you two more quick examples here. The, the, this image of kissing the sun um, is, is reinforced in different places in the New Testament, and it, and, it, and it brings warmth to this gospel call. In Luke 7, for example, we're, we're given the account of a woman uh, who comes to Jesus. She's a sinner. She's worldly. Um, the language you know, implies maybe that she's a prostitute. She's a, a woman of the world anyway. And she humbly anoints Jesus with costly, fragrant oil. And she washes his feet with her tears and her hair. And, and she repeatedly does what? She kisses his feet. She kisses his feet. And, and there's this uptight religious guy, a Pharisee named Simon, who's watching all of this happen. And he's just scandalized by it. How can Jesus, how can this, this rabbi, Jesus, he's thinking, allow such a, such a seemingly filthy person uh, to relate to him in such a personal way, showering him with affection? And, and Jesus' answer came in the form of a parable, the parable of the two debtors. Remember that? A master has two servants. One of the servants owes him 500 denarii. Uh, the other owes him 50 denarii. Uh, the point is neither one has any means to pay the debt back regardless of its size. And Jesus says, hey, the question is, who loved the master more when he forgave the debt? And the obvious answer is what? the one who was forgiven the most. And that's exactly what was going on with that woman. Sinner that she was, forgiven much, and therefore loving much. And, and so it is with God's people today. Doesn't the Bible say to us, we love him because he threatened us? <laughs> We love him because he just said, hey, this is the way it's going to be. No, that's an incomplete gospel, right? Uh, we love him because he first loved us. This is the kiss then of affection. And, and I hope you notice by now that all of those responses describing kisses start with the letter A. Isn't that clever? Allegiance, affection, adoration. Have you, have you kissed the sun in this way? Do you know Jesus personally in this way? You notice it has nothing to do with whether you've walked down an aisle, whether you've signed a card, whether you've even prayed a certain type of prayer. Those are all means, you know, that God maybe brings to bear in a person's experience of repentance, but they don't save in and of themselves. We're, we're, we're talking about the response of the heart today. Have you kissed the sun? Let me just give you one more example here. In, also in Luke's gospel, in Luke 15, we find the parable of the prodigal son. And you know it well. A, a, a bratty son 
um, demands his inheritance and uh, a father uh, allows his son to, to leave and so off he goes and he sows his wild oats and he sows a lot of other people's wild oats and, and he finally comes to an end of himself, doesn't he? And he, and he, and he says to himself, look, I'm, I'm going to go back to the father and, and just be one of his servants. And you can imagine this kid, you know, kind of rehearsing in his mind what he's going to say to dad. You know, father, I, I pushed, I'm going to push you away no longer. I, I, I'm done running from you. I, I accept you and, and your ways, the ways of your household. I'm here to serve you now, not myself. And, and, and Jesus says in this parable, before he even got that rehearsed speech out of his mouth, the father ran to him and embraced him and did what? Kissed him, accepted him. And the invitation to people still today in light of this be wise, be warned thing is simply this. Kiss the son. Give your allegiance to him. How can you not adore this king who lived for you and died for you and rose again for you? How can you not have a heart that bursts with affection for this king. And if you come to him this way, do you think he'll accept you? I think so. None who have come to him in this way have been unacceptable. The father's kiss of acceptance is given to all who surrender to the king. And so sings David, Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. What does it mean to take refuge from anything? Well, it means to find safety. It means to find shelter. It means to find security. And in finding security, to find hope. All of that is squeezed into this little phrase, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so I beg you this morning to trust in Christ. Trust in Christ's life lived for you. Trust in the death that he died for you, the blood that he shed for you that washes away all of your sins. Trust in his resurrection. The proof from heaven that sin and its death really are defeated on behalf of God's people. In fact, Christ's resurrection, the scripture says, is the first fruits of all who are to be resurrected never to die again. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. But, but you know, it is true that for those of us who are in Christ, uh, a passage like this, nonetheless, um, ought to awaken us a little bit. We're saved, being sanctified, aren't we? And, and what is being sanctified? But progressively being taught to surrender more and more to the king. And so you look at a passage like this and you're meant to be thinking, my goodness, do it, are there corners of my life that are still... Uh, ruled by me? 
Do I, do I have little pockets of my life? Maybe I have big parts of my life yet that are yet to have been yielded to the authority of the king. And so much of the struggle in the life of God's people, not all of it, but so much of the struggle in the life of God's people is to do with being under crummy management. Self-determination is not the way to life. Self-determination is not the way to the abundant life that God has for his people. And so we are meant to yield to our king. J.B. Fesco in his commentary on Psalm 2 says this. He says, many Christians trust Christ with the conquest of death and eternal life, but they are hesitant to trust him with their lives on a day in, day out basis. Now, I don't think there's a person here who doesn't understand the reality of that by experience. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Let me just end with this, and I really do mean it. I'm going to end here in just a minute. Um, What else can be said of this blessing? Well, let's just end where we began. The king of whom David sings has come. Uh, He has come, uh, our New Testament shows, and he has lived for his people, hasn't he? Our Jesus has. And he has died for his people. And he has risen again for his people. And he's ruling even now from heaven. Do you believe that? Because it actually makes a difference in the way that you look at life. This world does have a king. And his name is Jesus. And there is a day coming when the kingship of Jesus will be fully realized at his return. But listen to what John the Apostle says about this. He records for us the words of Jesus to his church. So if, the, if you're the church, this is, this is for us. He who overcomes, says Jesus, and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. That's a direct quotation from Psalm 2, isn't it? How about more from Revelation? Revelation 5. Uh, we, We hear the church singing this anthem to our King Jesus. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. What scroll? The the title deed to the earth. And to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. This is our future. This is our hope. Yes, the world and its people still plot a vain thing and still rage against God and his anointed. And it's evidenced not only by the things I mentioned earlier, but by the persecution of God's people, his church. But our hope is this. What we see here in Psalm 2 has been the encouragement to God's people throughout the ages, really, that we're always looking ahead to the certain um, coming in fullness of the kingdom of God.
Listen to 2 Peter 3. Nevertheless, we, the church, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And think about what the Holy Spirit is saying through Peter. Why hasn't this already happened? What, what's taking so long? It's to do with the long-suffering of our God. It's to do with the invitation of our King. Because the people of God are those who are privileged to be handing out this invitation. Do you realize that? Not hunkered down in fear. Not sitting around whining about the world's rebellion. But purposefully extending the king's invitation to his enemies. Which we were apart from his saving grace. The Puritan Richard Baxter Put it this way. He says, Christ prepared the kingdom for us and then prepared us for the kingdom. Not for believers only in general, but for you in particular. Not only from the promise after Adam's fall, but from eternity. That's, that's the message of Psalms 1 and 2, isn't it? The gospel isn't God's plan B. God has always intended to have a people and to bring them to himself by his grace and to give them with his anointed king Jesus a kingdom. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for this promise. Lord, would you just do what only you can do with your word? Would you, Lord, commend it to our hearts? Give us understanding. Lord, help us be a people. Help us be your church that lives in the direction of this great kingdom promise. Lord, give us a passion to be those who extend our king's invitation. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.